Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about the People Mover, which you may also know as the Tomorrowland Transit Authority. You see, the idea for a People Mover was in Walt's original plans for what he had had in mind for his Progress Land, his Progress City, his experimental prototype city. When he first started drawing up the details and thinking about what he wanted it to do, he wanted to have a place where people could live and work in a new kind of community. And one of the important things was to have some means of public transportation that didn't rely on the old standbys of trains or buses or anything like that. He wanted to have people able to get around in clean, environmentally friendly ways and able to get from point A to point B quickly. So by having dedicated lines where you'd have a monorail that would take people over long distances in his in his property, you would have people movers that would move people around in short distances in small areas. So you could have within the city cityscape in the center of town, you could have a people mover there. You could have another one in the outskirts where people would be able to get from like the grocery store to their home and things like that. So the concept was always there. And when you look at his original model for his progress city, you see that in there. You see those kinds of things like a people mover included in the designs. So sometime after he started planning up the idea, he started a prototype. Now he had this group of people that worked for him that he called web designers. And it was an interesting relationship he had between uh, his Walt Disney Company and the web designers and this other group. So the web designers really worked for him and they were the think tank. They were the people who actually built some of the things and created things. So these people were working for him and doing the, doing the designs. So the idea they had was to come up with a kind of a small vehicle that could transport four or five people at a time across a short distance. So what he had in mind was a, like a small, almost car, that you would be seated in across from each other and you could be having a conversation where you would go a short distance to get to some other place. But these vehicles would be completely automated. Now, automated vehicles like this didn't really exist in the United States at that point. There were a few examples of it around the world, but in the United States, this was something new. So he was breaking new ground and being a trendsetter and doing something interesting that no one had ever done before. So the idea was pretty clever. He's like, okay, so we gotta get people in a car and get them to a short, a short distance away. How are we gonna do that? And they actually relied on something that was a piece of simple technology. What they did was they put wheels on the outside of these vehicles. They were made of a lightweight material like an aluminum. Then they put wheels on the outside, like tires, just like you'd have on a car, but there was no motor inside them. Instead, what they did was they used DC motors in the roadbed, in the, in the surface area, where it would have a wheel on it, like a normal tire. Uh, like, a, like you'd see on a car, and they'd be spinning at a constant speed. So when the vehicle would roll over it, it would be propelled along because the tire would roll against it. It's kind of like if you think about the machines they use for uh, pitching in baseball, where you put the ball between two tires and it spins it out, or a football for that matter, it spits it out and sends it a distance. Same principle applies. You're just going to be rubbing against the bottom of the car and it'll propel the car along. 
and by changing the speed of the tire on the ground, you can actually speed the car up or slow it down. So the concept was great. They had this really unique idea for doing it. So they decided to prototype it and build it at Disneyland. And because they were using tires, they went to Goodyear and asked Goodyear if they'd be willing to sponsor this attraction, this idea for a people mover. And Goodyear, because they supplied tires, thought it was a great idea because they might be able to use the same idea in other things. Plus, they'd get the sponsorship and get people to see the Goodyear tires and so on. So they actually sponsored the attraction when it was first built. Now, Goodyear was also working on their own version of a mover, a way to get people around, and that was actually their own version of a speed ramp. Now, a speed ramp was this essentially conveyor belt that used tire materials that would uh, go in a giant loop. They just stitched it together on, on the end, so it became like a, a loop in a way, and it would just continue to roll around a couple of rollers and move people along a distance. So you could do it for a short distance going along. If you look at, like, in an airport where you have these moving walkways, the concept is similar. Now, the speed ramp still exists. Uh, you can see them at uh, Walt Disney World. They go up to the uh, people mover. They did build them in there. You can also see them at Disneyland and Walt Disney World and the Pirates of the Caribbean and a few other attractions where you have these moving ramps. They're Goodyear speed ramps. So Goodyear had this technology that they were willing to share with Disney because they got a chance to see how well it interacted with large numbers of people going along it how the maintenance worked, how it all came together. And they were able to develop a better system over time because they were using this technology and coming up with ideas and working with Disney. So here you have this perfect storm of what exactly Disney wanted. All these companies working together for a better tomorrow to come up with things to make something better. Now the cars they created at Disneyland were these, as I said, cars with wheels and they had uh, a roof over them so they could basically go outdoors in the elements. Now in Disneyland in Cal Southern California, you don't have to worry about the rain so much. So the, the roofs were there for the days that it was raining and also to keep the sun out. So, but they were open air and they would move along and this was a great idea, it worked really well. So by the time they started thinking about Disney World, they figured that they would actually put that in there because remember the idea was to build this experimental prototype city. So they go, well, let's go ahead and build this and start putting a people mover in. Well, as the idea progressed and they decided they weren't ready to build Epcot at that point, they knew that they could build something and go ahead and prototype the cars in, a, in an area within the Magic Kingdom. And so they decided to start building it. Now, as they started thinking it through, they said, you know, we can do better than the moving tires. We can use something called linear induction motors that basically turn on and off very quickly and use magnets to basically pull the cars along and then uh, use the reverse magnet to kind of push it along. So it kind of pulls it in with one pole of the magnet and then pushes it away with the other pole. And this is the design they came up with. Innovative, clever, nobody was really doing that. There were some technology companies that were kind of playing around with the idea, but nobody had really done it yet on a large scale. And here Disney created it for a ride, an attraction at Disney World. So they were actually able to come up with this idea for the linear induction motors, build it, and start to put it in place. The problem was, and this is the big problem, they didn't have sponsorship for it at Disney World. They started building all the platforms and pillars and putting it all together above ground and making everything kind of work, but it didn't come together because they didn't have sponsorship. Goodyear didn't want to continue to sponsor it just because there was no tires involved anymore. You couldn't see the tires. They were happy to build the idea of the speed ramp and let them use that, but they didn't want to sponsor it as an attraction because it wasn't something that was going to show off their product. So Disney went searching for another, uh, pro another sponsor for it. And they actually found the Edison Institute wanted to sponsor it because they were using linear induction motors. It was a great sponsorship opportunity for them. So they came along and they said, okay, we'll sponsor your attraction. But here we were, this park opened in, 
the park opened in October of 1971, and here it was, 19, late 1974, and they still weren't ready to open it at that point. So they got their sponsorship, and they actually opened on July 1st, 1975, a couple of years later, and it was at the beginning of this renaissance where all of these new attractions were being put into Tomorrowland. At that point, there were only two, and they wanted to build more attractions into it, and here was the perfect opportunity that People Mover would be one of them. So they went ahead and got it opened uh, that year. Now, one of the interesting things was or, originally they had planned on putting the Adventures Through Inner Space attraction uh, in where uh, the, um, the Buzz Lightyear ride is today. And the idea was to put that in there and have it go along. So they built windows into the People Mover track so that it would look down into Adventures in Inner Space. But along the way, they decided not to do that. So when they decided on building If You Had Wings, they went ahead and redesigned, Claude Coates got involved with this, and sort of redesigned a few of the elements to make sure that your vista into the attraction made sense and you could actually see something that was meaningful rather than seeing the back of a wall or projector or something. So it was kind of clever. So because they had already kind of built up the platforms and everything, they were kind of, kind of stuck there. Now, that also meant that they couldn't change the footprint of Tomorrowland as they wanted to because they had other ideas, but they were kind of stuck for what they would do with those ideas. Anyway, so one of the other things that happened was... Uh, along the way, they decided they were going to move the Carousel of Progress from Disneyland to Walt Disney World. And in doing so, on the second floor of the Carousel of Progress was the entire model of Progress Land, Progress City, the Epcot. And they decided they, were going to, they weren't going to have a second floor on the attraction in Florida, but they would go ahead and take a piece of it and put it along the People Mover track to kind of represent what the model was all about. So that was actually kind of a clever idea. So they built a special... Uh, cut out for it in an early part of the attraction so that you would go into it and you could actually see part of the model that made the idea for the entirety of the people mover. It sort of was the, it was the, the impetus for the whole people mover. Now, the P, that was called the people mover in Disneyland. And because this WED company, this Walter Elias Disney company, had designed up the changes and made up the linear induction motor, they decided to call it the Wedway People Mover when they moved it to Florida. Kind of a clever idea, because it was their idea and it was their inspiration that brought it together. So kind of neat the way they did it. Uh, kind of clever the way they put it all together. Now the, the track itself, it's about 5,500 feet long, just over a mile and you average about seven miles an hour in it. Now it can slow down and speed up by t depending on how much magnetism is put out there. They can actually attract it a little faster and push it away, repel it a little faster if they want to. So there are certain places where you speed up and slow down because the motors are pulling you and pushing you a little bit differently. So it's actually a very clever design the way they did this. So when they first designed it, they needed to have a voice. They needed to be able to tell a story as you were going along. So they decided to turn to Jack Wagner more or less the voice of Disney, to create an audio track that went along this ride so you could actually enjoy it and kind of take it in and it was explaining to you what you were doing. So here's the audio from the Jack Wagner version of The Wedway People Mover. Electric Institute, or America's investor-owned electric companies, welcomes you aboard The Wedway People Mover. August quiet electric power drive tomorrow, the people mover will be your front row seat for a grand circle tour of Tomorrowland. Along the way on your mile-long journey, we'll give you many attractions looking into the future and see some of the ways electric energy serves man. Now and tomorrow. 
inside the pavilion we're now approaching is Mission to Mars, where space travelers explore one of our solar system's most mysterious planets. journey leaves every few minutes for outer space. Across the way is another journey, a grand circumvision trip on the magic carpet on the world. And now sit back in your seat as Eagle Mover presents a preview of the future in Cinema Tomorrow, a man's goal of a better place to live, work, our energy resources wisely, not wastefully, today and
baseball is really out of this world. But you can also see the home of future living inside Space Mountain without taking the rocket ride. Now as we leave Space Mountain, over here you can see another form of transportation, the Skyway, carrying you high above the Grand Prix Raceway and other adventures of Fantasyland. Please keep your arms off the doors and remain seated until the doors slide open automatically. 
That's pretty cool when you hear it. It's, it kind of takes me back to the early days of Disney World and kind of the way it came together. You had these things that kind of fit in and told a story. And it was kind of interesting. It was a little different than it is today. Now, really, this was just a means to see if we could, if Disney could find a way to move people around in a short distance as they thought about what their prototype city was going to look like. So you could have people moving around throughout the community that you're building. But over time, they decided that they weren't going to be able to get Epcot together, not the way they originally envisioned it, but they could still use this technology, and perhaps it could be a model for the future. Maybe people could use it in their own cities and communities. Maybe they could license it, hire wet engineers, wet designers to come in and uh, actually build it for them. Or perhaps they could still do title sponsorships with different companies and figure out how to bring it together. So by the time the 10-year original agreement with the Edison Institute was up, it was time for Disney to kind of rethink it a little bit. They needed a new sponsor. Edison wasn't interested anymore. So they went out and they found a new sponsor. And I believe at this point it was Alamo, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember now who it was. Uh, but anyway, they got a new sponsor and they decided to redo the audio. And this is where they had an interesting idea. They wanted to make it more fun and upbeat and kind of computer-aged, right? Here we were, it's 1985, and they had this idea for making it computer-aged. So they decided on this computer-themed audio piece that would be the ORAC 1 computer that would talk to you about it and be sort of computer-based and tell you a story for a little while and kind of take you through the storyline. So they did that. And I couldn't find any references to who actually voiced it. I don't know who actually does the voice of Orac. I'm, it could be just another person that worked at Disney that they uh, digitized his voice in some way with one of the early, early modulators that they had. I don't know. I'm not sure who it was. And honestly, I don't know what Orac stands for. Uh, it's one of those kind of funny things that just gets lost to history, I think. It might be out there somewhere, but I wasn't able to find it. In any event, here is the audio from the Orac 1 computer, the commuter computer, taking you around the Walt Disney World Wedway People Mover. Have you noticed this Wedway People Mover out down the heaven engine? Well, you see, these vehicles travel quietly and with no air pollution on a system of linear induction motors. That's kind of a fancy term for the special electromagnets that push and pull our vehicles around Tomorrowland. There are more than 600 of these electromagnets there on our own.
the board are scoured off to the left. Not me, though. The altitude is Station people. Yes. 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 Yes.
after another 10-year run, it was time for another change. So in 1994, they decided to update it again as they were updating all of Tomorrowland. Now, Tomorrowland was taking on this sort of intergalactic feel and supposed to have this futuristic sort of thing going on. You had the... Uh, uh, intergalactic uh, center where you had um, Stitch's Great Escape and you had uh, all these other things that were sort of futuristic in a way. They sort of rethemed things and renamed them a little bit. So the uh, People Mover became the Tomorrowland Transit Authority and they built a fun bunch of fictitious lines where there were other lines that went around and did uh, took, pe took people to other places. So the blue line was the one that took you around through the Magic Kingdom and then there was a green line and a red line that were supposedly going to take you other places in the galaxy. Though, of course, they didn't actually exist. It was kind of a clever little whimsical thing they were doing. So it was kind of a fun little way to look at the idea for what they were doing. And uh, they decided that when they were retheming it, they would kind of give it a little bit more of a feel of telling you about all these different places rather than telling you about the people mover itself. And in this case, they decided to use Pete Renaday to do the audio for you and tell you the story. And it's kind of a clever way to do it. It's a very different sort of stylation than what you had when you... Uh, when you were dealing with all the other other things with like ORAC or with uh, Jack Wagner, but it's kind of a fun little ride through and you get a different feel for it. So this is the, the attraction audio that they used starting in 1994. We hope you enjoy Tomorrowland Transit Authority's Super Skyway. Now approaching Tomorrowland Interplanetary Convention Center. The Convention Center is host to a galaxy of new ideas from other planets.
from Galaxy M31. Please keep forward-facing tentacles clear of oncoming Metroliner vehicles. Thank you.
today at the Metropolis Science Center is the greatest invention of all time, a time machine. Be sure to stop by and meet the inventor, Timekeeper. He'd love to take the time to take you through time. Rejoin us and believe in the promise of tomorrow. Now, Renaday gave it kind of that feel of being an intergalactic society downtown area where you were kind of going around in something that was unfamiliar yet very familiar. It was kind of clever the way he did it. So then finally, his narration lasted until 2009 when Disney started rethinking the whole theming of Tomorrowland yet again and doing the retro piece again where they were looking back at Tomorrowland as something in the past with a forward vision. So they decided to retheme the People Mover again and make it something different. And this is where they brought in Mike Bressel to do the uh, voiceover. And it's similar in its styling, but it's, it's a completely different narration and there's a lot of spaces where there isn't a lot of uh, talking going on because they just let you enjoy the ride. So here's uh, Mike's version of it and uh, it's kind of, kind of clever. Thank you. 
Agent Mr. Morrow, Mr. Tom Morrow. Please contact Mr. Johnson in the control tower to confirm your flight to the moon. Yeah. 
station, our Grand Circle tour is coming to an end, but not to a stop, because this transportation system never stops. Thank you for joining us on the Tomorrowland Transit Authority People Mover. It's been a pleasure to have you aboard. Enjoy the rest of your day and have a great big, beautiful tomorrow. And there you go. That's the story of the Wedway People Mover, a.k.a. the Tomorrowland Transit Authority, that kind of fits into Tomorrowland and the way that they've themed it up. Now, the differences here between here and uh, the California version, of course, were the linear induction motor. There was a roof over the entire thing to keep out the rain and the sun and the Florida, Florida weather. Uh, and overall, it um, was a little more consistent in its operation. You know, you go up the speed ramp, you get on a little, a little moving platform that's moving at the same speed as the uh, cars themselves, and then you can get on, the, on it very easily. And then, again, it speeds up and slows down based on the linear induction motors, but then they, the cars catch up to each other and they all come together at the end. It's, it's very clever the way they've designed it up. It's a very smart design, very elegant in a way. And Disney tried very hard to uh, sell this idea to other companies and other people. And as I understand it, there was one taker, and that was the Houston Intercontinental Airport. They had an interest in creating some sort of a subway to connect up their terminals. And they turned to the Walt Disney Imagineers and asked them to install a system very similar to the Wedway People Mover. And they did. And so that system still exists today, as far as I know, though who knows with travel changing today, it could have been removed or could be removed at some point in the near future as they continue to evolve their thinking. But it's been running there for, you know, like 40 years or so. And uh, they've been able to get passengers back and forth between the terminals. It's actually interesting that Disney was asked to uh, get involved with that and actually do some work on the internet and the, on the, uh, the subway that connects the intercontinental airport terminals. It was kind of cool. So they did have some success in selling it in some way, even though it might not be quite the way you think it would be. And that's where it netted out. As far as I know, no one's ever taken this technology. Sure, the linear induction motor has been used in other places, and it's you know, got some other uses and applications. But as far as a moving vehicle that transports you around in a small distance that uses those, really never took off. I expected, you know, when I wrote it sometime in the 80s when I was in high school, I was like, wow, this is kind of awesome. You know, this is the kind of thing that the technology is built on, and this is the kind of thing that we should be building on for our future. Quiet, clean, energy efficient. What a great idea. But it never came to pass, and it's kind of odd to me. I know Disney had other intended uses for it. They were going to put it around parts of Epcot. In fact, if you walk through Epcot uh, and look at some of the buildings and the way they're constructed, there's sort of a two-story arc there, and you can see where there might have been a platform that would have come through some of the buildings. So um, the one example I'd give you is if you ever go over to Living with the Land, if you walk down to the first floor and you look up, you can kind of see some alcoves up there that look like they could have been stations or drop-off points that would have been for a people mover because the buildings were originally designed with that in mind. So it's kind of interesting that they had kind of thought it through, even though they never constructed it, the uh, building had the design in mind. There was also a plan since 
the area that became uh, the Disney Village Marketplace and now Disney Springs was going to have a people mover that moved around it so you could get from one part to another uh, as, as part of that. And they were also going to have a monorail that was going to take you into it so you could actually leave the Magic Kingdom, go to the Transportation and Ticket Center, and then go to the uh, over to uh, this um, downtown Disney area, and then you could take the people mover around there. But it never came to pass. But they had the idea, it was always on the drawing board, and it was really kind of interesting that they thought it through, had a plan for it, and then just never came to fruition. And part of it had to do with money, certainly. Disney was always kind of strapped for cash as they were looking at things, and they always needed a sponsor to, to buy into it in order to build some, some of the bigger, ambi more ambitious things that they had in mind. Today, that's not so much of an issue. They've got so much operating income, it's really not a problem. They can do whatever they want, but they still look for sponsors where it makes sense, and they can do some partnership ideas. So it's kind of an interesting thing. But there you go. That is my look at Walt Disney World's People Mover, the Wedway People Mover, the, the Tomorrowland Transit Authority, whatever you want to call it. This idea that Walt had generated, this, this concept that he had for moving people around in small distances in, in a location. It was so clever and so unique. And really, it's just a transportation system. And if you can believe it, this used to be a D-ticket attraction. There, I finally got it out. The D ticket would have been the second highest, E being the highest, really good attractions, D being the next best. This was a D ticket. It's unbelievable when you think about it. It was just a transportation system, but people loved it. And it was, you know, they wanted to you know, rake in a little bit of money, even though it was like only, you know, 25 cents or whatever it was to get a D ticket. They were just taking a little bit of money to help its operational costs, defray some of the costs there. And so people really loved it. And over time, it's become this sort of amazing thing that people look at and they just think it's a really cool uh, piece of technology, kind of a nice attraction, kind of a fun ride, even though it's really just a transportation method. It's really pretty neat that they, it still exists today. Now, as I understand it, today it is still closed. Um, after the pandemic, they never reopened it. And part of the reason is they're doing a little bit of uh, construction work on it. I think they're repairing some roofs. And also with the, um, the Tron light cycle being just outside it, I imagine there's probably some crossover or something they want to do to thematically interact, have the two interact. So I imagine that's part of the reason too. But we'll see when they reopen it because the plan is to have it reopen, uh, closed for a period of time while they do some renovations and other things. You know, they'll do some refurbishments on it and whatever, maybe upgrade some of the motors and whatnot. And then eventually they'll reopen it probably early next year. And here's to hoping that it does reopen because it is one of the more amazing attractions at Walt Disney World, even though it really is sort of a throwaway. One little spark of inspiration is at the heart of all creation. Right at the start of everything that's new. One little spark lights up for you. And for my One Little Spark segment, I wanted to talk about voting for a minute and to remind you to get out and vote. It's a presidential election year, and the stakes are always high, and you have an opportunity to be part of a representative democracy and get out there and vote and help shape our future. Your vote actually does matter. If you look back at the 2000 election in the state of Florida, the election was decided by about 500 votes, just 500 people. And if you think about the overall presidential election there, there's like around 180, 200 million people that are registered voters in the United States, and those 500 people really made the difference, if you want to look at it that way. And then if you look back at the midterm elections in 2018, uh, both the gubernatorial and the Senate race in Florida were decided by a couple of thousand votes, so a couple of thousand people out of about, oh, 7 million registered voters, 6 million registered voters in Florida. 
That's a pretty significant number. So it's important that you get out there and vote and exercise your rights to vote. You have a duty, an obligation, a right, a privilege of voting and helping shape our future. So don't, don't miss that opportunity. Now, there are three ways to vote traditionally. One is by mail. If you live in a state where voting by mail is uh, allowed or permissible, make sure you have your ballot and that you fill it out and you mail it back in plenty of time so that it can be received and counted. There are a lot of places in different states where there are drop-off locations for those ballots if you don't think you can mail it back in time. So look up those locations on your Supervisor of Elections website and make sure that you return it within the timelines that they give there. So that way you make sure your vote is counted. And then go online and check to see how your vote tally is going. A lot of uh, states and supervisors of elections allow for you to follow any of your mail-in ballots to see whether they were counted or not. So check it and make sure. And then you can verify that things worked the way they were supposed to work. If you decide to vote early, check the Supervisor of Elections website to see where the early voting locations are in your area. In Florida, each of the 67 counties has their own way of handling the early voting. There's different locations set up within the county and you can go to any of those locations and cast your vote in that same county that you live in. So make sure that you're casting your vote early and uh, check with the supervisor to see what the dates are in Florida. It's from October 19th to the Saturday before the election, I believe. It's the last day they have the, uh, the early voting. So that'll be uh, November 1st, right, if I'm not mistaken. So you want to go in there and you want to, uh, I'm sorry, that'd be October 31st. Go in there and make your vote. And then finally, if you're going to vote on Election Day, make a plan and be there on Election Day. The polls are open 7 to 7. Just check the Supervisor of Elections website to make sure you know where your polling place is. You can check your voter registration card. Sometimes they update them, so just make sure you know where it is so you have a plan for getting there. Lines could be long, so you want to make sure that you're planning for enough time to stand in line to be there and vote. Now, the other thing I'd suggest is take a friend with you. If you're going to vote early or vote in person on election day, plan with a friend. You know, make it a little event, right? Have some fun with it. Go out there and you, the two of you or the four of you or the 10 of you go out there and just make a vote together. You each vote for whoever you want, but go out there together and you have a little fun in line. At least you're not by yourself when you go. Then finally, I just wanted to share with you, there's a lot of information out there about problems with voting and, you know, want people wanting to monitor the results of the elections and be there as poll watchers and these different things like that. And you as a voter have rights too. They can't accost you. People can't accost you when you're waiting in line. They can't come up to you at a certain point in line. And don't let anyone intimidate you or think you can't vote in some way. And if you think that there's a problem and you don't think that you can't vote for some reason, or they tell you you can't vote for some reason, Check it out with the person, the poll workers that are there. Make sure that everything's up to speed there, that the poll workers aren't telling you that. And if you think that there's a problem and you're being denied the right to vote for some reason, then you should check with, there's a number of places out there that have call-in numbers or email addresses where you can contact people to help you. There's lawyers out there who will help you with voting issues. And one place I'd recommend to you is a place called headcount.org. Um, you could email info at headcount.org or call 866-OUR-VOTE, O-U-R-V-O-T-E, and you can actually ask someone for, your help, for help in getting your, your voting done. It's just one of those things, just in case you have a problem. One, one more thing to know, just in case. So anyway, that's my thing. My one little spark is make sure you vote. That's all there is to it. This is how we shape our future. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now.
Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company.